Welcome to the Beyond Mom podcast, the podcast for moms seeking connection to self while navigating the journey of motherhood. Get inspired with our practical tools, soulful conversations, and honest stories told by other women like you. From entrepreneurship to healthy living to style, Beyond Mom will spark you to live the thriving life you deserve. And now, join our host, Randy Zinn, as she takes you Beyond Mom. Hi, everybody. This is Randy Zinn, founder of Beyond Mom. You are tuning in to On Air with Beyond Mom, um, a podcast to offer insight, inspiration, ideas, tools, you name it, for the women who fit into this very interesting, special time in life, the time when you become a mom and you notice that you begin to change and you start to be interested in new things and you have new and budding ideas And sometimes we just don't know what to do with it. So we're here to give you tools, ideas, insight. And my most passionate thing that I just love to do is to bring women onto this show to tell their stories and to share the tools that they've uncovered as they've navigated their experiences as Beyond Moms. I know that today you're going to really, really love this conversation. I'm super excited to have it personally um, with an amazing Beyond Mom. Her name is Laura Vanderkam. Uh, a brief bio of her, um, she is the author of several time management and productivity books, including I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Her work has appeared in publications including Fast Company, Fortune Magazine, USA Today, and the Wall Street Journal. I recently read a fabulous article that she wrote in the New York Times. That's how I found her. And um, she lives outside of Philadelphia with her husband and four kids. She blogs at lauravandercam.com. Um, and I've been spying on her online. And she just has so many cool things to share with us. So here she is. Hi, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, This is a really important discussion because ask any one of us, these busy mom types who are also entrepreneurial, creative, or out there in the workforce trying to find some kind of concept of balance, and what is the one thing that we wish we had more of, and I think we would all agree that it's time. And I myself feel like, quote, if I had more time, there's a million more things I would do. So I would love to just open up this discussion right away with with the question, why are you so, so, so interested in talking about time with these kinds of women? Well, I agree with you. That is the thing that people like to say they want to have more of in life. Um, however, that's not going to happen. <laughs> we are we cannot make more time. Um, we also, I think, it's not so much about having more time. It's about making mindful choices with what we're doing with it. And I think especially with um, women who may have young kids, you're in a very busy phase of life. And so it's easy not to think that there's any time for anything. Uh, But that's not true either. There is space to do the things that we want to do. And so I hope to help people reconsider their narratives, um, get a better grasp on where the time goes, and maybe make some choices that can make for a happier life. Mm, Okay, so let's dissect this. So 
We have, let's call her a woman named Mary. <laughs> she has three kids. She's starting a business. She wants to take good care of herself, but she also wants to be present for her family. And she really has this great business idea that she is trying to launch off the ground. And she feels like she's whirling. What would you do? What would you offer her? How would we begin to dissect her time? Well, first, I would say, don't tell yourself the story that this is inevitably crazy. Because as soon as you tell yourself the story that it is like, oh, life is crazy, I'm whirling around, you're going to look for evidence to support that. And you will be able to find moments that are crazy, right? Where, you know, these stories women tell each other, I like to talk about it competing in the misery Olympics, right? We each try to one up each other in these stories of like, yeah, well, I had my baby was up all night and I had to catch a plane at 6 a.m. with what, you know, these stories. So don't tell yourself that story, right? Refuse to participate in that. Say, there is enough space for everything I want to do. And I think you can find evidence of that as well. The truth is, there are 168 hours in a week. So if you are sleeping 56 hours a week, so that's eight hours a day. A lot of people claim not to do that. But let's say you're sleeping eight hours a day, taking great care of your health that way. If you're working 40 hours a week, that leaves 72 hours for other things. That is quite a bit of time. Even if you're working more than that, let's say you're working 50 hours a week, that leaves 62 hours for other things. If you're working 60 hours a week, that leaves 52 hours for other things. Like we're still talking a major chunk of time for hanging out with family, for seeing friends, for exercising, whatever it is you want to do. Now, granted, it may involve some creative scheduling to make all these pieces fit together, but the time is there. And if you tell yourself the time is there, then you start to see evidence to support that thesis, which is a much more helpful one to have. Mm. Okay. So step one is adjusting a mindset and utilizing more positive, more strategic language. Yeah. And then the second step is, is to figure out where that time is and what, where the time really goes. Because the problem is that a lot of us have absolutely no idea where our time goes. I mean, we think we know, but we're wrong. And there's pretty good evidence that we are wrong. Like when you force people to keep track of it, you find all kinds of things. People massively overestimate how many hours they work. They underestimate how many hours they sleep. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like we overestimate the things we don't want to do. We underestimate the things we do want to do. That, that's human nature. I mean, it, it feels like it take, takes, less, takes less time if you love to do it. So, and, and so because of this, we tend to not see where available time might be. And we tell ourselves the story, I have no time. And hence, when free time does appear, you don't know what you want to do with it because you're telling yourself you have no time. And so you spend it in the most obvious sort of non-chosen ways, which tends to be surfing the web, puttering around the house, watching TV. And, and those are fine in small doses, but they tend not to be the things that people find most meaningful or enjoyable. So um, knowing that the time might be there helps you make better choices about where you want the time to go. Do you think, and I'm not one of those people that blames technology for all the world's evils, but do you think that the nature of having our devices and our phones kind of in our hands all the time and how we could be, you know, doing one thing and then is kind of spacing out a little bit for two minutes here, three minutes there, surfing Instagram, checking our emails, and then coming back to the task at hand. Does that choppy nature of how we kind of are touching multiple tasks at the same time make us feel like 
somehow there's less time? Yeah, I, I think it does. And I think one of the dangers of that is people think that their phones are like associated with work. I mean, because often your email is on there. So I guess in theory, you could be working, but you're, you're not. I mean, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> you're, you're not if you're, you know, on, on Instagram, surfing, Pinterest, whatever. Uh, and, and so this chopped up nature of time does contribute to the feeling that you have less of it. Um, I've, I do this some myself. I mean, you know, you take the phone. I was out at my six-year-old's baseball game, the other practice and baseball game the other weekend. My husband had the other kids. Beautiful summer Saturday. Like, I find myself reading some stupid listicle on who knows what. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, a beautiful summer Saturday does not need to be sped up. Like, I need to put this phone away and not even, like, watching the kid practice because who cares? I mean, they're just <laughs> throwing the ball around. Like, just stare at the sky, stare at the clouds. Like, it's it, this is time that could be completely slow-moving, indolent, wonderful. And and here I am reading this article I do not care about. And And so I think the idea is we want to spend less time speeding time up because that's what a lot of that is, is you're filling spots of boredom. Um, but but you don't have to. I mean, there's many reasons not to. And I, I tell people if you consider if you feel like you have no time, I mean, look at what you're doing maybe at night from like eight thirty to ten thirty. And some sometimes people are working, filling in you know work time during that. But a lot of times it's just watching TV, right, or surfing the web. So don't do that. Like go outside, sit on the porch, like watch the sunset, watch the stars come out. Like that two hours, if you don't have your phone in hand, it's going to seem like an incredibly long period of time, uh, you know, a very slow moving, uh, hopefully relaxing, but uh, at least very slow moving two hours. Um, and, and that's available to people most nights, but we just choose not to do it. I think that's an incredible point. And I just want to say that I catch myself more often than I'd like to admit doing exactly what you're talking about. And I've been, I have been consciously trying to put it down and really be present. And, you know, here in New York, my God, you see people walking down the street, like not even looking up and they're just kind of surfing the phone on the street. Besides the fact that I believe that could be some sort of danger to oneself, um, you know, it does shift your relationship to the moment. And even, you know, sitting and grabbing a coffee by yourself and, spacing out. I mean, bringing it back to the the mom perspective, I mean, we constantly have somebody pulling at us. So what does it mean to give yourself that cup of coffee to just look out on the street and watch people walk by and think? You start yeah. I would imagine you start to feel a little bit less gypped of time. Yeah, a little bit less busy, a little bit less pulled in many directions. I mean, many of the directions we get pulled are a result of our own choices. Mm. I, it makes sense. So tell me about, or tell our listeners about the research that you did um, for your book about, you know, how women, professional women are utilizing their time. Um, first of all, I'm just so curious how you kind of folded yourself in with these women and how you kind of observed them and what they did. Yeah. Tell us about that. So for I Know How She Does It, I did a time diary project of 1,001 days in the lives of women who earned six figures and also had children. So they had big jobs and they had families. And I wanted to see what the lives of these people who, I guess by at least one definition, have it all, uh, really look like. And so I had them keep track of their time for a week. The majority of people used spreadsheets. They just wrote down what they were doing. 
um, some in more detail than others, but in enough that I could see what was going on. I added everything up, did my statistical analysis. I found that um, people have a lot more balanced lives than the popular narrative often conveys. The women in my project were working on average 44 hours a week, which is more than 40, but it's not a lot more than 40. And considering that everyone was earning six figures, uh, that suggests that there's some pretty good returns to working just a few extra hours on the margins. Um, the average mother works about th who has a full-time job works about 35 hours a week and earns closer to about $35,000, $40,000 a year. So the difference between the six-figure job and what it requires and a normal full-time job may not be as life-altering as, as we think it is. The uh, other good news is that they were sleeping a reasonable amount. No one ever believes me when I tell them this. But the average was 54 hours a week, which you do the math with seven days in a week. is just a little bit under eight hours a day. Um, and so there's 168 hours in a week. If you are sleeping 54, working 44, that leaves 70 hours for other things. So it's probably not surprising that people were able to have fairly full personal and family lives in these 70 hours a week because um, it's a lot of time. <laughs> so this idea that, you know, if you work a big job, you'll never see your family. And if you somehow manage to see your family, you're never going to be able to do other things like exercise or see your friends is from my data false. I think this is a story we tell ourselves that no one can have it all, where in, in fact, many people do have it all. I would just like to add, <laughs> I've had the privilege of talking to uh, some really interesting thinkers and writers um, that have spoken a lot about stories, as you're saying, um, maybe with a different angle, stories about how our children need to have the absolute majority of our time. Um, and I would also kind of throw into this theory that besides telling ourselves we don't have enough time and that it's not possible to work out or see our friends, that perhaps also there's this story about, you know, how we should be living our lives folded into that story or some sort of subtle societal pressure um, that of how that time we have should actually be used. Um, and of course, you know, the big beyond mom push is that we're better moms when we actually take some of that time, that time that you're isolating, you actually have, and we actually do see our friends and do work out. And we come back to the time with our families as much better women. I, I agree. I mean, I think that there are fascinating stories with this. Um, looking at the historical data, historical time diary data, uh, women spend more time interacting with their children now than they did in the 1950s and 60s. And that is true, even though vastly more mothers are working now uh, than, than did during those time periods. So I think some of this guilt is a bit misplaced, um, and it completely misreads the, the historical record. Um, with that, I think there's also, I mean, yeah, there's, there's stories we tell ourselves about what is, what is best for kids and, and that people can't necessarily live their lives that way. Um, there are many things we can do, and it's wonderful to spend time with our children, and I think pretty much all moms do, um, which, is, which is great. There's many fun things to be done with it. I recently did a time diary project of uh, stay-at-home moms, um, which I undertook with Redbook Magazine. We did a time diary study, 558 stay-at-home moms reporting how they spent the previous day, hour by hour. Um, we found that a lot of these women were, in fact, doing paid work. 
um, which is interesting. There's a lot of different ways to work these days. Um, and, and so there's a huge gray area uh, between, you know, being in an office for 40 hours and, and doing nothing. And, and so a lot of people inhabit this gray area. And I think what's going on is partly this story that, you know, the Pew Research Center found, had a poll founding 60% of Americans say it's best for children if a parent is home with them. On the other hand, male incomes have been stagnant for the past you know, a few decades have declined, in fact, uh, since the 1970s. So it's really harder for women to give their kids the kind of life they want on one income. So how do we square this, that the majority of Americans say it's best for a parent to stay home with the majority of Americans not being able to give their kids the lives they want on one income? Well, you call yourself a stay-at-home mom and you work. Like, you do both. Uh, so, so I find that fascinating um, that how much these stories affect what we then call ourselves um, and yet are different from how we spend our time. Right. And you look at, you know, companies that target these, quote, stay-at-home moms to work with them, the, the direct market models. And, you know, so a woman when the child naps can actually be productive and make some income. Yeah. But, yeah, she's working. She's working. <laughs> and there, there are more opportunities like that these days, certainly, you know, various entrepreneurial ways. And a lot of these there's a lot of scams out there as well too. I would certainly caution people uh, when they're when they're looking at this to do your due diligence to make sure that something is legit. But yeah, I think there's a, a huge gray area, and yet there's these these holdover stories we tell ourselves that you know children need all of your time, and yet that's not going to happen. And so we just tell ourselves these stories. Mm. Another thing, I, I, when I was reading your blog um, the other day, uh, preparing for our, our conversation here, I love that, you know, as a mom of four, that you did some blogging about taking single days with each child and, you know, making a commitment to one full special summer day with each child and doing something kind of cool with them that they were interested in. And it was really, really, I just wanted to say that I thought that that was a really great idea. And I think sometimes can give us that sense of, I can, I can meaningfully touch my children and spend really quality time with them. Even if it's sectioning off like one full day, there's, there's just all different ways of doing it. Yeah. And, I mean, the thing with having four, including one very little one, I mean, my toddler is incredibly demanding. Um, and, and so I tend to feel like my big kids don't get as much of me as I would ideally be able to give them, even within sort of the time frame that I have all of my kids. And, and so I carved out these three days uh, in June to sort of welcome in summer uh, as the kids are sort of rolling, coming out of school and different schools get out at different times. It was great fun. You know, I wound up at Hershey Park twice, which is, you know, extraordinarily inefficient. But on the other hand, was all about uh, spending one-on-one time with each of those kids. And I took a day trip to Washington, D.C. with my oldest kid. And we went to the National Zoo. We went to the Washington Monument. We went to the um, Museum of American History. We just had a great time. And I'm really glad I did that. And in the course of a whole summer, I mean, a whole year taking three days to arrange that is, is not a huge ask. And yet I think my kids will have really good memories of it. Yeah, that's awesome. So a couple of things I'd love to hear, just short little answers on, you know, what, what are some of the traits that you notice successful women have? And what are a couple of the things that successful women, and I, that word successful, I, I, it's such a 
loaded word, but let's just use it for the moment. Um, what do they do to start their day? So a couple, a couple of short ideas from your perspective. Yeah. Well, I think successful women and successful men tend to be mindful of their time and they ask, if they're spending it in ways that align with what is most important for them to be doing um, in their roles as workers, in their relationships, and in terms of taking care of themselves as well. Morning routines are fascinating to me, and it turns out fascinating to a lot of other people too. Who knew? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that mornings are a great opportunity to do whatever is important to you that life has a way of crowding out. And so if you can use the space of time before going to work for something other than getting ready for work, you can make massive progress toward your personal goals. Um, So that means it's a great time for things like nurturing your career, nurturing your relationships, nurturing yourself. If people are, for instance, trying to write a book, you want to write that novel, morning is a great time to do it. Uh, You'll have more willpower then than you will later in the day. Um, shockingly, if you put it off till 10 o'clock at night, you're probably not going to sit down and write that novel. Um, exercise is, is a thing that a lot of people wind up putting in the morning that it's done. You don't have to debate with yourself when it's going to happen. Uh, you only have to shower once. So that's a, a great logistical benefit. And, and, you know, but even nurturing relationships, and especially this is good for people who have very young kids, um, they often wake up at the crack of dawn. We are dealing with that in my house at the moment. Uh, Six o'clock is considered sleeping in at the moment. Yeah, um, I feel you. You feel me. Yeah, it's, it's rough. I, I hate it. Uh, but on the other hand, it is time that you can spend with your kids. And so if, for instance, you are gone most of the day at work, if you get home at a time that makes it difficult to have much evening time with your kids, morning is a great substitute. And, and people often don't see it that way because they're sort of focused on like, well, I got to go to work. They're not looking at the time that is passing between when they wake up and when they actually get out the door. But that, that's time you can have together. So that's a great time for nurturing your relationships. Mm. Yes. So much of this is about perspective and, and planning. I mean, when I keep like coming back to the point, um, and I, I do happen to think that moms uh, we de- <laughs> either we're naturally good at it or we have no choice but to just develop these skills as we're in it. <laughs> I, I think that's true. I mean, some of us are far more natural planners than others. I mean, if you take the Myers-Briggs stuff, I've had people read some of my books and be like, oh, that is such an INTJ book. <laughs> okay, yes, I am. <laughs> I am who I am. Yeah. But, you know, those of us who are the J's in, in Myers-Briggs terminology probably have an easier time of it. Because we're naturally thinking like, oh, if I want to go out for a date night on Saturday, I need to book a sitter ahead of time. We get the reservation at the restaurant. Um, But then it's going to happen and we can look forward to it or say, well, it's important for me to exercise in the morning twice a week. You know, it's hard with my, so I'm going to talk with my spouse and make sure we're covering for each other twice. You know, each of us gets two mornings or I'm going to start my childcare a little earlier, two mornings a week so I can do that. We think through those things. And that's just the way our brain works. And because of that, this other stuff happens. And so you can combine work and raising a family and exercising and doing your hobbies and seeing your friends. And it does all fit. But I think other people are just like, whoa, what just happened there? What, what was that process? Like, I, I don't even understand. And, and those people can be very fun. Like, they're, they're a lot of fun to hang out with these spontaneous sorts who are just like, it's a beautiful day. I don't know. Let's, let's go to Atlantic City. I, you know, I don't know. Like, 
but it's a lot harder to do that as a parent. And I think a lot of those people wind up then thinking, I never get any time for myself. I never get to do anything. It's like, well, you would if you would plan it ahead of time. But you have to get over that idea that it's no fun if you plan it ahead of time. I think I'm with you 100%. I mean, this is my husband and I are all about nap schedules. And, you know, you have to be able to break it from time to time in order to have a life. But on a daily basis, for the most part, nap time is productivity time. And you know approximately when that's going to happen. And that's when you can get some stuff done. It's huge. Yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, knowing, knowing when that is, my kids, my kids are not as good about following a schedule as I would necessarily like. They may be a bit more spontaneous, um, than me, but I I think that, you know, knowing the rhythm of the days and knowing when you work best and figuring out what can be done during certain times allows you to get things that matter to you done. And I grant that it may not be as fun, but sometimes that's part of being a grown-up. I'd rather take, you know, 75% of the fun and know that I still will get to do stuff than aim for 100% of the fun and never have it happen. Completely. Absolutely. So to kind of wrap up this conversation, I mean, there's so much more we could dive into, but the beauty of this is that listeners out there, you can read Laura's books and you can check out her website and get more of her um, well, well well-developed and researched tools on how to better manage and have a better relationship with your time and to therefore be happier, which is what we all want, right? Um, But before we say goodbye. Um, Tell us a little bit about what keeps you balanced and calm and what are your practices besides obviously managing your time? (laughs) Well, I I try to make sure that I'm asking myself if I'm happy with how I'm spending my time. Um, At work, I try to always be involved in projects that make me excited. I mean, there's obviously some stuff you have to do that you don't want to do. But I try to balance that with things that I'm genuinely excited about because it is a lot easier to make the pieces of work and life fit together and if you actually care about the work side of it. Because um, the home stuff is really awesome, and that's great. But, you know, in order to have both, you know, you need to be really into what you're doing at work. Um, I'm very good about exercising. It's something that is very important to me. I tend to run most days. I Sometimes I've tried to do it in the morning, especially when I was writing a lot about morning routines. Uh, but, but it tends to work best for me in mid-afternoon, which is when I need a break. Uh, and as somebody who works for herself and works from home, I can get away with that. Um, so, so that's when I tend to do it. And, you know, I, I make sure I put in fun stuff on my schedule uh, in my, my personal life as well. If I feel like I'd like to get together with friends, I look for a night when that can work. I see if my husband's going to be home or if I, if not, I find a babysitter, uh, make it happen. I don't mind planning things. And I think that makes life a lot better for me. Agreed. Agreed. Um, okay. So quickly tell us Laura, where everybody can find you. Well, I'd love for your listeners to come visit me at lauravandercam.com. I blog most days. Uh, as you said, there's a lot of Laura Vanderkam stuff out there. If you want, you can read thousands of pages of Laura Vanderkam stuff to occupy whatever free time you may possibly have. Um, and I would love to connect with people on social media and at my blog as well. And 
you know, email me to lvandercam at yahoo.com. I love interacting with people. And she does respond. I do respond. I respond to, <laughs> I would say, like 90%. The, they're the crazy people. I, I of course not. And I'm really honored that you didn't put me in the crazy category. <laughs> you were not in the crazy category. <laughs> well, what an insightful conversation. Laura, thank you so much for sharing this insight and all of your expertise, which you've clearly devoted um, so much to. And I, I just know that Beyond Moms are going to be able to take what you share and and put it to good use because this is a really important subject for us. Um, So thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. And for all of you listening on the subject of time, I always close every podcast with this. I know that time is the greatest commodity being a busy mom. And even if you're cooking or cleaning or on your computer answering emails while you listen to this, I'm glad that you did. And I thank you. Um, And until next time, take great care of yourself and have a great one. Bye.